आई एम सुमित गुप्ता एंड दिस इज चूजिंग लीडरशिप अ पॉडकास्ट फॉर हाई परफॉर्मर्स विद बिग ड्रीम्स एट वर्क एंड लाइफ दिस इज अ पॉडकास्ट फॉर पीपल हु नो डीप इन साइड दैट देयर इज मोर हैव यू अचीव्ड अ ग्रेट डील ऑफ सक्सेस बट ऑन द इनसाइड यू स्टिल फील एम्प्टी एंड लाइक एन इम्पोस्टर डू अदर पीपल सी यू एज अ स्ट्रॉन्ग लीडर एंड यू वंडर वाई इट स्टिल फील्स सो लोनली एंड सफोकेटिंग The aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content but instead shift the context under which you operate. I dare to speak to the tremendous power which you already have rather than what you believe are your strengths and limitations. This podcast is called Choosing Leadership because that is what leadership is, a choice. And this is the leadership journey series. I am interviewing leaders with an interesting story to learn how they got where they are today. we all have a lot to learn from each other's stories of where we started where we are now and our successes and struggles on the way with this series of interviews my attempt is to give leaders an opportunity to share their stories and for all of us to learn from their generous sharing christian is a leader in science technology and business because of which he was named a top 100 ai global leader recently he has been a startup founder a professor a vice president and executive director at some of the largest international tech companies successful startups and leading universities in the interview christian and i speak about our common love for technology and leadership about computers and people and about artificial and human intelligence we talk about the importance of listening with empathy understanding the cultural assumptions that lie behind all conversations and the important role of curiosity when it comes to leadership hi christian welcome to the show hello thank you for having me yes it is wonderful to have you here yeah indeed yeah so no, for ev- for everybody who is listening i will throw it back to you to just give a brief summary of who you are and what do you do today yeah so my name is christian goodman i'm working with artificial intelligence and i have been doing so for a very long time i'm a vice president the global head of ai and data at a very large it company in europe tieto every i'm also an executive director at the nordic ai institute and now at the karolinska institute which is a medical university and uh, yeah my focus and my passion lies a lot in building Uh, business and innovation and research around AI, building teams, building people, being a good leader in this space. Thank you. I I like this intersection of AI technology and leadership. I think there are some quite a few parallels. But I, I'm really interested and keen to learn how you got to where you are today. If you can share a little bit about your life, or if there are any crucible events which shaped your life and shaped your mm-hmm. views mm-hmm. around technology and leadership, we, I would love to hear. Yeah, absolutely. I think in the early days, I was one of those folks that was very early on interested in new technology and computers. Was able to program them when I was thirteen years old. Started really getting deeply into it. Was inspired by books by Stanislav Lem, by Asimov to start understanding how. this whole technology could potentially unfold so i had a great fascination for how it worked early on in my life i realized then also that the best type of intelligence that we can learn from is our intelligence and that of uh, animals that say how do we work together how do we relate to each other how do we solve problems how do we perceive the world 
philosophy, ideologies, all these types of topics. And so psychology became one part of my studies. And then also, of course, AI. So I think I brought this whole interest into understanding the human condition, how we relate, how we, how the world is set up into, into this idea of building an AI, building an intelligent machine that we can interact with, that, that can understand us to some extent, we can understand it. And that is something that really brought my passion forward. And I think also it has been, it has been, then I spoke to people also during those early years, which really inspired me. I remember a psychology professor, a Swiss professor, he was very much forefront on his, in his area. And he really had a fantastic way of describing uh, how our brain works, how we are essentially very close to how uh, language, how we think and how language is built up. And so this is, this was an inspiring person. And also early startups and companies that I joined, where I could see how good leadership versus not so good leadership looked like in these early days. But I think that is a starting point in, in my interest and passion into this. I can, um, I can totally relate to that because my journey has been somewhat similar. Like started with uh, programming and computers and then slowly dealt, deep dived into the, the human side of it. So I, I'm very curious to know how you make sense of these two elements, I think, which can be pretty apart sometimes, like the analytical mm. side of it, the rational side of computers, programming technology, and then the human side, which where the rational brain, brain plays a part, but there is a huge uh, uh, emotional side to it, which is, which is, which uh, sometimes is difficult to explain by rational thinking. So I'm looking forward to hearing your views, how you bring that together in your yeah, no, exactly. It's a good point. And I think, so let's see, do you have the technology part? As you say, that's more analytical. That's the data. That's the algorithms. It's a technology. It's the hard things where you really, where data is governing the way how you decide your very, uh, your frameworks, you have agreements and so on. And that's one, that's the hard side of the spectrum, which you can discuss, um, in order to make decisions, you know, in today's world, so much is digital. You and I talked before the, this discussion also about how the whole world is changing. Everything becomes digitized. And there you have very little gaps, very little things that are ambiguous. It needs to be pretty straight, although it's still extremely complex. And as complexity increases, sometimes it also becomes a bit fluffy, let's say. But, and then there's the human side, right? I think I realized early on my big ambition of seeing big AI projects turning into something requires you to work very closely together with lots and lots of other experts, with great people that have all sorts of qualities that they can bring to the table. And of course, each of these individuals have different backgrounds, different ambitions, uh, different ways of communicating, a different view on the world, which is a great asset if you understand where they come from. If you can, if you can connect to those individuals and that's, that's a different quality that you need to bring in as a leader. Yeah. I would say these are two different topics. Depends also which organization, which industry you, you would be working in. If you speak on that level, right? Because you have, you have a different structure. If, for example, I often like to divide between a sales oriented, basically a sales oriented organization, a company where sales is in the forefront. And then engineering and product design is what sort of develops what sales real sees in the market. Or you have a product, product and engineering based organization where often the leadership and the CEO is more engineering based. 
So then often the engineers come up with a whole bunch of cool things. And then sales has the burden of bringing it to the market. Sometimes you have a bit of a chasm between the sales and market folks and the engineering. And, and that's also probably a div slight divide between the more harder science or the harder approach of data and algorithms and products and also the way how you deal or how you understand customers and how you understand the market, how you understand enterprises, which is a much more fluent way of, of dealing and you know, with people rather than algorithms and infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think that is very relevant to uh, the example of sales and the product and engineering as different departments. Mm. And I'm wondering how do you bridge this gap? Because I, I see that rational thinking in the engineering and product side. Mm. At the same time, sales and especially when engineers are talking to salespeople, it's a lot about building trust. It's a lot about building relationship. It's a lot about slowing down sometimes, explaining things, mm. checking what the other, where the other person is coming from, as you said. What has worked for you to bridge this gap rather than this becoming a liability? And just to, be, just to understand your question, you mean the gap between within a team of, let's say, engineers and products, uh, people, or you mean also the gap between, okay, you talk about the data and you talk about the, uh, the products, uh, but you also have the people that you need to lead within that team. What do you mean, let's say, for example, sales and products? Yeah. So, yeah. My, my question was about the first part, the, the sales and mm -hmm. product. How do you bridge that gap? But I think, yes, as you said, it's also true for within a product mm -hmm. organization because you cannot work alone. You have to deal with people. Yeah. So I think uh, the holistic understanding of the organization uh, that has worked for me, meaning that having an appreciation and understanding of the goals and the concerns and the skills and the qualities that each of these parts of the organizations bring in or parts of the organization, obviously it was just one example of sales marketing versus like product and engineering, let's say, although it's of course a simplified yeah. picture of this, but having a, having a holistic understanding, listening, understanding where individuals come from what they would like to achieve, what are their goals. And so that's definitely a start. It's a very important start to lay out how people are thinking, uh, you know, on this issue. And I think also I had to, had many years in which I was able to learn this skill, right? To understand where this is coming from. Also to be aware, to develop a consciousness about what a company is meant to be doing and to translate that to the individual in your team or in other teams. So reality, for example, is that in today's world, realizing that a company's primary goal is to really compete in a market, to create value, to create products that make an income. That's happening if you work in a capitalistic environment, which most of us do. And then uh, that means that each of these uh, teams that exist, sales, product, marketing, finance, they all have roles in order to achieve that goal. So I was also a CEO of, of uh, smaller companies, but regardless of how big the company is, your responsibility in the end of the day is to really make sure you're viable as a business and you do what's expected and then try to encourage every team member to uh, move into the same direction. So um, listening and being conscious about the environment and translating it back to the individual is very important. And I think also as a leader, maybe as a senior manager, it's important that you, one lesson that I learned is that when you are in this, you have this responsibility of the people that you are, that follow you, that are in your team, 
And you have those that are you need to report to and respond. It's not just you as a manager, you need to add value in the communication. So if you get a, if you get a goal that comes from above, moving it down to your team doesn't just mean you repeat what the leadership says, right? Over which the folks say above you, but you need to understand it. You need to be consciously aware of what it means for your team and then breaking it down to your team members. And the other way around. So if, for example, your engineers or your sales team is uh, giving your feedback, giving your guidance as to what's happening, that, for example, certain frameworks are not working or there's a big trend happening in the technology environment, which now particularly in AI is happening all the time. Every month there's new things happening. Well, I need to understand it. As a leader, I need to appreciate it. Often I give also my team then the space to explore that and translate it back to, to, to the rest of the organization. So this, these are probably really two, three important aspects. Listen carefully, understand, and then add value to the communication and contextualize it. The communication is a big part of all this. Totally. Thank you for sharing that. I think listening and understanding are so simple words, but yet these simple mm. concepts can be so deep when it comes to practice. This reminds me of a story of a leader whom I was working with recently. And they said that when they moved their attention from what they were speaking, because that's how we relate communication, when he moved his attention from what he was speaking to how his teammates and his boss was listening to him, it mm. gave him totally new conversations to have. Because then his attention was what is being listened rather than what am I speaking. Mm. Uh, and then this allowed this person to tailor his speaking depending on what the other person was listening to and not mm -hmm. uh, keep a one-size-fits-all in, in communication. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you highlighted in the contextual part of it. So you listen for different contexts and then tailor your communication because that's where, and I think that's one of my biggest learnings was coming from the technology world that with computers, I can take my program and put it into any computer and it will do the same thing. Mm -hmm. But when I'm mm -hmm. dealing with people, everybody is different. And it, it was very mm -hmm. frustrating at first. Mm. But over time, when I learned to tailor my communication, I think it became a big uh, transformative moment for me. And it is a sense of control, right? When I programmed early on, a computer microprocessor allows you to, the programs, they are highly repeatable, right? You know exactly you have the same functions and you have that the, you know, the monitor or whatever your program is meant to be doing. It's like, it has a certain execution. It will always be that way, obviously with other Humans, that's not the case. And I think this listening part, if you're lucky, uh, you also understand the assumptions, the underlying life assumptions of the other individual. Mm -hmm. And you see that still today, clearly in, in a bigger setup where culture, for example, is a, the cultural setup in which individuals are operating plays a big role in how um, people make decisions and how they be, and by those, what I mean by these cultural assumptions, it could be, for example, religions or, or other types of setups where individuals have certain preferences, certain value hierarchies, which make them believe in certain things and act in certain ways. And that is, uh, that is something very important to have a functioning communication. It's, a, it's not easy to find out. It's not obvious. Having an awareness of it can help. And I say this in part, I have maybe part of my introduction or I've been living in a many parts of the world to many continents and I've been exposed to probably now every single culture in the world, different countries in Africa, in the Middle East and India and Asia and Australia and South America. And of course, all the 
still today, maybe in a hundred years time, we will be so intermingled that things will become much closer. But today that, that is still an important aspect to, to consider, right? Not everyone starts from the same background. And I'm, I guess also I'm bringing in maybe another aspect from a leadership perspective, at least my style, which helps me a lot, mm -hmm. is a good level of curiosity. So I'm very curious. I'm genuinely uh, curious in another person, how they think, what's their background, what's their interest, what's their ambition, how do they want to change the world? What do they see as being responsible for? Which role in this big theater we call life, do they consider being, being their role, right? At this point in time, maybe changes tomorrow, but it's today. So it's a very important aspect. Yes, yes. And I, I think curiosity and control, I think these two things which you mentioned, and I see these as uh, like poles apart. I think uh, what people normally see as a lack of control mm. can be anxiety producing or can be very difficult for people. But I, I see the opposite of control as curiosity, especially from a leadership point of view, because yes, we are living in a capitalist society where we want to control, we want to predict the future. Mm. Yet mm. at the same time, we are living in a world which is much more like intermingling global even more so with, with Corona and like with the uh, widespread use of virtual communication, mm. we mm. cannot take mm. things for granted of mm. how others are listening to us. So I think curiosity from a leadership point of view is a very powerful mood to live in because it takes care of not just productivity, but also well-being. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. exactly. And, and I think also the individuals that I worked with had some of those qualities when I'm looking at those leaders and managers and that I had, I'm seeing a couple of, uh, qualities that I really appreciate that is, for example, curiosity, the current company, for example, our, uh, CEO is a curious person and the nature of the way companies let is along those lines. Curiosity is a very important aspect. Another leader, another manager and supervisor that I had years back influenced me a lot of patience, a lot of empathy, someone who lays, who almost every time I was in a meeting, I was inspired. Like I, I thought, wow, I couldn't, I couldn't get out of the meeting early enough to start implementing you know, what we discussed. So there was a rigorous exchange, a very smart person that had good enough answers to the questions that I had and, and team members had, and that worked very well. It's worth noting though, I also learned in the same session that there are obviously matches, right? For certain leaders that worked really well for me. I know people in the same team that absolutely didn't, that didn't work for them at all. So it depends obviously a bit also on that match between the style that you have and how does that match the team that you have. I think there is no leadership style that covers all of it. There will always be some that want to have a more stricter or authoritarian way of working and maybe that suits more, it's more appropriate. So it, it really depends also. Yeah. And can you share a more, a little bit more about uh, that person or what they said or what they did in that meeting or, or a series of events mm -hmm. you found uh, where you see that balance between managing pressure of results, predicting results, because as, le as leaders, we all are responsible for producing outcomes in the very real, very measurable, tangible outcomes. Yet at the mm -hmm. same time, the underground, the layer between beneath all of that is the layer of emotions, is the layer of human mm. connection. Mm. So can you share what happened in that particular event or is there anything else which you would recommend to leaders? So 
as mentioned, probably this is a recommendation. You need to be aware in which situation you are. So I wouldn't want to make just a blatant recommendation for all leaders mm -hmm. to follow. But I do think that almost all leaders will benefit. Like you're a leader if you manage to have followers. And it is important in that case to have empathy, to put yourself into the shoes of those that you want to inspire, that you want to help and want to lead and want to manage and want to give a perspective. I think that is something that I see that quality very much in this individual. And it wasn't only on a professional level. It wasn't only, okay, what do you want to, how much do you want to earn and yeah, your KPIs. It was actually almost the opposite, right? It was giving you the space of making your decisions, which I found very important and almost like focusing more about how to describe the challenge and what that, what achieving that challenge would mean. Maybe the story about now I may, I may not get the whole story together, but it's a bit like when you want to convince people building a boat and going to the other side of the ocean, don't tell them all the hard work for cutting the trees and putting the, the boat together. And then we talk to them about what it means to have this boat and exploring the ocean, exploring new countries, like speak of the possibilities, focus on those things, focus on the purpose, focus on the meaning of doing this, this type of work. And I think at least in my case with this individual that has helped me and it gives perspective, it gives a much wider view of your role and the, the role of the project, the organization and the team. Why am I here? It's answering that question. Why am I here? Yes, I think what you're pointing out is uh, something which Simon Sinek also calls mm -hmm. why. And I, I, I think for me, it's like very project focused or very task oriented thinking and zooming out and seeing things from a bigger picture and then making maybe some different choices from what that new perspective brings to you. Mm. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for sharing, sharing that. Yeah. Of course. No worries. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, certainly it's certainly. I want to also emphasize again that it is that match between the leader and those that are led. It's a matching. It's a matching. I see now. I have been seasoned. I have been um, <laughs> at different roles as a leader, and I've noticed also that if I'm taking over teams which I haven't hired in the beginning when I did this quite some while ago, I remember that I was surprised how different what the ex that the expectations were quite different of that team towards me, that the dynamics, the chemistry was very different as opposed to those that I, I hired where we had to match, how to say, like the right setup that we, so I had to change my style. I had to adapt my style. I had to be more open. I had to be more broad-minded and understanding and be curious again as to what the expectations are and how do I bring the team together of quite diverse styles of thinking. I guess that comes with the going up in the, in the business hierarchy that you, you grow with your challenges. Yes. Yeah. And as you sp spoke about change and as you spoke about being seasoned, is there any particular belief around leadership which you have changed your view over time? I think I learn something every day. I think there is a, maybe I can highlight two things. Like one is that in your career, by and large, it's a tendency moving from knowing the technology, knowing the things that you learned in school, learning the technical things, let's say it doesn't matter if it's IT or legal or anything, that you move over time, that the expectation is higher and higher as you grow in the organization, that you understand the people. So you're moving much more from understanding the techniques to understanding the, the social environment around you. It can be the customers, it can be people in your team. Can be your can be your co-workers, can be the rest of the organization. So there's a clear transition. And I think it is in the benefit 
you stay purely in a technical position, that's also perfectly fine. Nothing wrong with it. Obviously, if you, if you are long in, very long in an organization and you are primarily a technology person, that's perfectly fine. You need those prodigies too. But generally speaking, there's a tendency for you to understand more, to introduce the new people into the that's something I learned early, and I see this very much implemented. My, the expectation by me, for me, is not only to know the latest algorithm, but to actually also understand how do I attract the people that know the latest algorithm? How do I keep mm -hmm. them all happy and meaningful and so on, right? The other thing um, is I think there's an overall macro trend in the ecosystem where if you compare, let's say, the leadership style or the expectation of a manager or CEO 50 years back to today, it has certainly become more wide and compassionate. Mm -hmm. And now I'm also slightly biased here because I know the AI, IT AI world and I know it mostly from a, how to say, Western point of view, although I have been also working in the Middle East and I'm aware of lots of colleagues in other countries, but um, there is an expectation, particularly by the younger generation, that the value offer by mm -hmm. the company when you're employed is not only, well, here's a paycheck, here's the money, you should be happy at work. There is much more expectation. You need to have a good plan of expanding, of learning more, of having opportunities to grow. You want to be respected. You want to have a purpose in the organization that you're working in. So let's say the, the value that you're offering an employee or that you offer anyone that joins a company is uh, becoming more, becoming wider, becoming, it's not just the hard money but it's also other aspects. You want to work in an inspiring environment. You want to work with colleagues that are supportive or hard or whatever you need. So it becomes yeah. wider. I think that's a very clear trend. And then of course, what that means as a leader or manager is you need to understand that too and encapsulate these. I think if you have a leader of 50 years back, which is very harsh and hard and mm. very happens, it can also be appropriate, but there's definitely a need to have a wider way of just before we wrap up, right? you spoke about 50 years back and I think everybody agrees that there is a huge difference in where we are today in the style of leadership mm. from 50 years ago. Where do you think we are going in the future? And I won't say 50 years into the future because the rate of change itself is uh, accelerating so much. So mm. maybe in, in the next two decades, where do you think we are going with this AI impermeating almost everything which is which is mechanical, which is rote, and then what does the role of a leader really becomes if AI basically takes up almost everything which is like very structured, which is very rational. So I think I've probably two considerations and I've been in several leadership courses and workshops with leaders that are today directors or that under 35 prodigies of, you know, companies and a similar question then comes up, what does a leader need, you know, in the age of AI and the age of intelligent systems and the age of data? I think one important part is that you surround yourself with people that you trust, that know these new technologies. You want to be very confident that you're on top of that, of these types of technologies. That would be, I think that it is one trend where you need to be for the next two decades be really mm, surrounding yourself because it is a AI is a technology just to take that technology, there are a couple of others like quantum and so on, but it is something that requires very much your attention, will require a different type of thinking. Also how the team and everyone in an organization and customers are using AI-based technology. So I think that's a very important part. And the second part, I think this trend will continue that we mm, have a more democratized work environment. 
I think there will be more, what you want to call it, more expectations by everyone to be more involved, to be having a more transparent organization, to understand what leadership does. Now with the age of the internet, which is a previous big wave that we experienced in some countries, such as Sweden, where I'm currently mm-hmm. living in, we have essentially everything is online. So every company has to publish and everyone can look it up, how many people live there, uh, what is the revenue of the company, everything is pretty transparent. I think there's a higher expectation for those things to be transparent and therefore as this happens, there will also be a larger de- degree of democracy. And I think that doesn't only mean things will be easier for leaders. In fact, I think it will be, you need to think about how you deal with that because now suddenly you have many employees in the organization that have access to information, which 50 years ago were possible to have your hands on. And that can be a good thing if you know what to do with it. Yes, I, I think the internet uh, and, and the democratization of uh, almost everything we do is itself a very good metaphor for the, the way leadership and management is moving forward, where people mm-hmm. want to be involved. And yes, that might be challenging or that might produce some anxiety or some change in the short term. But I think over term, there's a huge potential of a lot of productivity getting unlocked, which is somehow inhibited mm-hmm. because of because of like the 50-year-old management style still creeping in, in the language, mm-hmm. in the tools we use, in the frameworks we use. So I'm quite hopeful for what the democratization of technology or leadership. And mm-hmm. yeah, what if leadership is like peer-to-peer, like internet works and mm-hmm. what would that enable? And yes, new skills, but also a lot of new possibilities. And that would bring, that's another consideration that <clears throat> there will be much more, how to say, giving responsibilities to individuals in the organization along the lines of what you say, you can take the lead on a particular topic, right? And that's a, your responsibility in your, and that's, that's already happening now. I do that a fair, fair bit too. And yeah, it's a, it's a lot of opportunities to turn this into the right direction or make everyone happy and also make your role in an organization more meaningful. I think that's what democratization can do. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Christian, for your wonderful thoughts. So before we end, if anybody who is listening to this wants to know more about you, wants to get in touch with, read about your work, where can they find you? Contact me. I am on, I'm sharing lots of great articles on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a great channel to be in touch with me and Twitter. Uh, I'm also on Instagram. Look me up, Christian Goodman. Uh, happy to be in touch there. And yeah, on, on Twitter, I have ChrisXTG. you find me there. <laughs> Don't hesitate to be in touch. Thank you. Thank you, Christian, once again for your time and for sharing your insights. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Smith. Yeah. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction. Not just for yourself, but also for those around you. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. I say what might be uncomfortable for me to say or for you to hear, to show you that all our dreams which have been on hold are within our grasp. If you like the sound of it, do not forget to leave a rating. I invite you to subscribe to my newsletter at deployyourself.com newsletter. You can also reach out on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook to share any other comment or feedback. 
I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.